and Timberlands podcast. I'm Simon Carley. And I'm Robert Lloyd. And we're joining you today from Cape Town, South Africa, at the International Conference of Emergency Medicine. And it's been you know, an amazing place, Robert. It's, it's tremendous, isn't it? It's my first time uh, at ISOM Conference, but this is my second time in Cape Town. Easily my favourite city in the world. Now, Robert's not a regular on the podcast, um, but he is a Fomite and runs the Pondering EM blog. So that's at Pondering EM is your Twitter handle. That's and right. And what's the address of your website? PonderingEM.com. And why are we talking today? I had a three-month elective last year working in two hospitals, New Somerset Hospital here in the city and Kyle Leach Hospital out in the nearby township. And I wrote a review of that experience on my blog. And on the back of that, I got asked to speak here at ISOM about my experience. So you spoke yesterday, great talk, really passionate, really vulnerable in some respects, and really interesting. There were a couple of things in there that I, I thought we could go through, if that's okay. Because mm-hmm. I think people would be really interested, particularly from the UK, about what it's like to work in a South African emergency department. Because it's pretty clear to me after the talk that the experience of a typical Saturday night... I mean, I think I'm busy in ED in <laughs> Manchester, but... You guys are really busy here. So you came over here and you were working in an emergency department in one of the townships, is that Mm -hmm. correct? That's right. The reason why I went to South Africa is that I was very keen to broaden my experience, particularly with major trauma. Um, I had two years working in Australia prior to the the experience in South Africa, and I've never had the opportunity of working in a major trauma centre. And I was advised that South Africa is a great place to get that major trauma experience. And so I came over here and I had a real baptism of fire, particularly in the township hospital. And in the talk that I gave yesterday, I focused on the process I went through in my first night shift. You're mentally prepared for that first night, so you've got yourself in the right state. Is that right? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. So I, I was very excited prior to the shift and keen to learn, but I had absolutely no idea, the nosedive that I, would t- that, I would, that I would take on arrival. Nothing could have prepared me for the onslaught that, of, of trauma that that hospital took on that Friday night. So in the, in the township, on the last weekend of each month, they have a particularly large volume of trauma because the, the township gets pissed. That's when payday is. And so everybody spends money on alcohol and there's just an eruption of violence in the township. If I reeled off the, the statistics to you now, Simon, you wouldn't believe the numbers that I'd be dropping. Try me. So 32 stabbed chests, okay. seven stabbed necks. Eight people died in the space of four hours. Six of them were under 16. Eight community assaults. You know what a community assault is? No. That's when a member of the community is deemed to have committed a crime and the lack of police presence in the township dictates that the community take the law into their own hands and beat somebody to within an inch of their life. And you see this all the time in Kyleach Hospital. So people coming in with blunt trauma, crush injury, just incredibly unwell. And this is just one night? This is one night shift. So it's particularly bad, this shift. There was certainly more trauma than they were than even they were used to, and it happened to be the first shift that I worked. But it, this is not uncommon here. They have an absolutely staggering volume of major trauma. You, were you mentally prepared for that? Because you, you were obviously here to get the experience. Mm. So in the one hand, this is a really positive thing, isn't it? Mm. So you've got the excitement and you know the concept that you're going to get in there and learn stuff, and that's great. But it's quite challenging to be faced with something so dramatic, even if you're kind of used to it and expecting it. I wasn't anticipating those kind of that bad experience at all. I don't know what I was anticipating, but I certainly wasn't anticipating that. And so I had this experience which I'd never gone through before. I felt completely paralysed when I encountered all these patients coming at once. So they, came, they seemed to come all in the space of a couple of hours. The resus room was just completely full of young, very sick 
patients who are severely injured in extremis. And I found myself unable to function. So I had this intense physiological response. I felt my heart rate pound, my heart pounding against my rib cage really hard. I couldn't hear anything properly. It felt like a bomb had gone off. My ears were ringing. I, I was unable to make any decisions. So I found myself trying to busy myself with a task, but being very indecisive. So I kept thinking, surely that's more important. Surely that's more important. I couldn't, I couldn't prioritise anything. And the worst thing is I was visibly shaking. So uh, any attempt at a uh, procedure, for example, putting a cannula in, trying to suture up a stab wound, um, really basic stuff I couldn't do because I was shaking so much and I had to pass the equipment to a colleague. So when you look back at that now, which sounds like a fairly terrifying experience, <laughs> yeah. on reflection, what do you think was going on? Now that I've had the opportunity to reflect on it, I was going through an extreme acute stress reaction. I was what some people would describe as being in condition black. It's been discussed, the, the book On Combat by Dave Grossman has been discussed at length by people like Scott Weingart and Mike Laurier on the MCRIP podcast. I was camped out in condition black. I was having an extremely intense stress reaction and it was impeding any type of performance that I was capable of. I think that's really important. I mean, it has been discussed by Scott and and the book is great and you'd recommend people read it? Absolutely. It it gave me incredible clarity with what I went through in the aftermath of those few shifts. I think it's really important because I think some people who read that book or listened to the podcast have thought, well, that couldn't happen to me. Now, people can't see you on a podcast, (laughs) but, you know, you're a mature capable, clinically competent person, but you can still find, if you're pushed hard enough and the situation is unexpected, this is something that could happen to all of us. No doubt. I I think that naturally the experience in South Africa was intense and it would be intense for anybody that's not used to working in that environment, but I'm sure that everybody that works in emergency medicine can on some level relate to that feeling of being out of, really out of your depth. I think that it happens almost daily. Somebody walks into resus and they're not sure what's going on and you get that really, really rapid feeling of, I, I don't know what's going on, what am I doing? And you get invaded with negativity, invaded with a, a paralysis of your performance. And, you know, it happened to me in an extreme fashion in South Africa, but I think it's applicable to most people in emergency medicine. Grossman talks about different levels, different colours, doesn't yeah. he? So black is the extreme. What's the lowest level? So condition white is the lowest level of performance but you're minimally stressed so it's the equivalent of being extremely chilled lying in bed watching Netflix for example your performance would be would be very poor should something be required of you then condition yellow is a, a bit of a step up from that you're more able to go to action if required in condition red your heart rate's crept up a bit and this is where your your cognitive and visual reaction times are at their best your gross motor skills are intact but your fine motor skills start to deteriorate with your heart rate being a bit higher. And Grossman uh, says that this is the optimal condition for soldiers. For us medics, where we need our fine motor skills and we need to perform those delicate procedures in a time-critical fashion, we should probably be further down in condition yellow. So it's interesting when you look at the work from Dave Grossman, that there's this continuum that goes backwards and forwards, but to some extent, it's quite difficult to choose where you want to be because you're, re- you're, you're talking about a physical, mm. physiological reaction to an external influence. But I thought in your talk it was really interesting, because if I remember rightly, you described this pretty horrific first day, and then day two was pretty bad, yeah. and then day three was pretty bad. I thought what was really interesting is that you decided that you needed to do something about this. An epiphany? Those first three shifts were pretty demoralising. I was disappointed in my lack of the fact that I responded 
so poorly in that environment. It was emergency medicine at its absolute purest. Every single person that came through the door in Kailicha Hospital was a genuine emergency. And I'd spent the last couple of years building my identity around being an emergency doctor. So I talk about it in a lot of my mates have done cardiology or anaesthetics or general practice. I've decided to do emergency medicine. I, I pride myself on being someone who feel, I feel like I can deal with an emergency or at least do something positive for the patient. And I was completely unable to function in that environment. But because it meant so much to me on a personal level, I was determined to do something about it. And I knew that I had the skill, you know, to a certain level I had the skills and the knowledge, but I knew I, I, that wasn't the problem. The problem was my mindset. I needed to improve my mindset, allow myself to exist in that stressful environment in a more calm way. So we all have a self-image of ourselves, right mm. or wrong. It's mm. probably our own self-image is probably not the true one mm. we project out with. Yeah. But if what you're saying is essentially there's a significant challenge there, and that you know psychologically is is really really hard. So that's an interesting time. Yeah. You've got a realisation, you know there's an issue. So how did you go about resolving this? Because you didn't run away, which I think is a possibility. Yeah. You could have just left and gone and done something else. You could have carried on with a, what you perceive to be a suboptimal performance. And I was really interested in about how you then went to approach to improve. Mm. So what drove that? It, was, it meant so much to me that I would go home to friends and family and... I was to be triumphant. I wanted it to be a positive experience. I need it to be because I, as I say, it was part of my identity. I want to be able to deal with emergencies. And so in order to improve my performance, I used three tools. I talk about in the talk that I gave three tools, mental practice. So I overlearned certain skills, certain tasks that I knew I was going to have to perform. For example, fast scanning, intercostal drains for trauma patients immersed myself in anything that I could find in order to be able to perform them with a certain level of automaticity on shift. So what do you mean by overtraining? We all learn, we all teach ourselves certain tasks, we will read about something, listen listen to a podcast about something, read a textbook, but the process of overlearning is where you learn it so it's printed on your brain, you, you almost can do it without thinking, it becomes a, a task which you can, you can do automatically, and so when under pressure... It's almost like muscle memory. And I learned that for one particular task that I knew I was going to have to do with surgical hand tying. They ran out of suture equipment quite, quite often because there was just so much demand for the suture instruments. And so you needed to be able to close wounds with surgical hand ties. And so I taught myself that and did it for hours at home prior to a shift. So when the time really came, I did it without thinking. So the overtraining aspect would be being good enough knowing that it's good enough and then keep going to try and do the deliberate practice that we talk about on St. Hammond's and other places to try and move you closer towards mastery and then presumably get more experience in the field and then train again on basis of what you've learned. So constantly trying to improve those psychomotor tasks in particular. So that's the overtraining. What else did you do? I also rehearsed things in my mind. And I think that we all, you know, I'd done this previously, but I'd never done it consciously. So I would play a video in my mind of certain, certain scenarios or procedures that I knew I was going to encounter. For example, I would be performing intubations out there, RSI for patients that came in with severe head injuries. I would go through each of the steps of the procedure in my head prior to a shift. And I do it over and over and over again. So it felt like I'd been there. I'd been there before when the time really came. I think an important part of that is I imagined myself in the setting that I was going to do it. So a multi-sensory mental rehearsal. Cliff Reed, I got the phrase from originally, was that the greatest simulator known to man, the most advanced, the most technologically brilliant simulator that we have, is free at the point of access. It's called your brain. 
And as you develop an experience, it's quite difficult when you're a very junior learner to do that because you can't build that sensory illusion within your brain. But once you've actually experienced it and you can do that, that level of simulation, of mental rehearsal, is incredibly effective. Mm. So that was really interesting. Was that something you were taught or was that just something you decided to, to do? I think it was, again, it was born out of desperation. Like I was okay. so keen to be able to complete those tasks and do a job and be a, a valuable member of the team. That I, it just came, it, it came to me. It was like an epiphany. It's like this, this, this makes me feel better when I'm on the shift. And when I started to see the results, I did it. I did it more and more and more. And as the as the experience went on, I, I, I could t- I could tell. I knew that my performance was improving, and I put it down to to those tools. And the third aspect, I called it relentless positivity. Um, I'm a reasonably positive dude. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager, I was a pretty decent tennis player. I, I wasn't amazing. But I took it very seriously. I played tennis every day. And I remember when I was a young tennis player wanting to become a professional, never did become a professional, but wanting to, I would prepare for every match like a pro. So I'd eat well, I'd sleep well, I would have a well-timed coffee before my match. I'd make sure that I looked the part, iron my clothes before, uh, before a tennis match. Sounds ridiculous, but it kind of got me in that frame of mind and it got my body ready for a big game. I applied that same prepare-like-a-pro attitude to a shift. It made me feel so much more confident going to work. The other component of relentless positivity is positive self-talk, and I know this has been something discussed by others. When you're in a moment of extreme stress, you get flooded with negative thoughts. That definitely happened to me in those first few shifts. And when I was a young tennis player, I remember when I was in a tight spot, in a tie-break, for example, and I was receiving serve and had a couple of match points to save, I'd make myself say something positive. Come on, stay in the point. You've done this before. You can beat this guy. And I did the same thing when I was on shift. I made myself think positive thoughts, and it just set me up for a successful moment instead of a failure. So how long did you think it took you to turn this around? I definitely don't want to sit here and claim that I was some Jedi by the end. I wasn't, and I don't think that I was. I was nothing compared to the South African doctors, who are just the most amazing colleagues I've ever worked with. Incredible resilience, incredible. Dis- I could wax for hours about how brilliant they were. I would say after a couple of weeks of of focusing when I wasn't at work and preparing myself mentally, I could I could see I could feel the improvement, and I could see my team, my, the other members of the team that I was working with, could see the improvement too. Not everybody's going to have your experience. And not everybody's going to have the opportunity to come here. For people training in the UK, so they're probably not going to get that outside of a major incident, but that's something we mm. should be prepared for to some degree. How do we accelerate the process that you went through and perhaps do it in a more protected way in the environment such as the US or the UK or for people who are thinking of coming out here and working here? I have recently become aware of a training process called stress inoculation training. Again, it's been discussed by leaders in, in the foam universe and it's a really exciting prospect where you essentially stress somebody out in a controlled fashion to give them a bit bit of prophylaxis against that condition black that we discussed. And it's a three-phase process. So the first step is called conceptualisation, i.e. you tell somebody, this is what's going to happen to you. This is the reality of a stressful situation. And the second phase of it is teaching somebody coping strategies. So much like the, the, what I've discussed, how I got myself through that st- uh, stressful process, 
teach them ways of coping in an intensely stressful environment. Then finally, you, you give them graded exposure to um, a stressful stimulus. And the perfect fit for that straight, that, that training style would be in, in simulation. So prior to sending some people into a stressful simulation where they're expected to perform in front of their colleagues, in front of an assessor, teach them about the, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to be stressful. This is what's going to happen to you and your body. This is what's going to happen to your physiology. Here are ways to deal with it. Now, all of those things you mentioned on the Pondering EM site, mm-hmm. so have you got links up there to the... Yes, so um, my blog, Pondering EM, I've put all the references that I used for my talk here in ISOM. On Combat's become compulsory reading for all soldiers and law enforcement officers in the US. I think it should be compulsory reading for all emergency physicians and trainees. It's an amazing book. It comp- it's changed my whole outlook on what it is to go to work. And I think the final words, so thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for the talk. It went down really well. Thank you. And the really good feedback from the people in the audience. Last word. Just tell us again how awesome the South African doctors because they are. I met some amazing people this week. I nearly got emotional. I, I had to hold it back when I was uh, talking a, a room full of full of people, which included my colleagues in Kailich. I nearly got emotional talking about what a privilege it was to work with them. They are absolutely amazing. They work under the most extreme pressure. There's no comparison to that level of pressure, and they perform day in day out. And they do it with the most incredible professionalism. And the amount that I learned working alongside them is indescribable. And I'm just, I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to work alongside them. It's been an amazing conference here in South Africa. Cape Town is a wonderful place. Even if you're not coming here for a conference, I'd strongly recommend you come. Table Mountain is, as a backdrop to a city, is just incredible. Like all the international conferences, we've met a whole array of people from around the world. If you do get the chance to go to one of these conferences, I'd strongly suggest that you do. Thanks, Robert, again, and no doubt we'll hear from you soon. Thanks very much, Simon.